All right, so we're in a series today called Equip. Let me hear you say Equip. Yeah, and our desire is that this series would be catalytic in creating a disciple-making movement at Stone Creek Church. Let me bring you, um, catch you up on what's going on. For the next nine weeks, over the course of 10 weeks, we're gonna be having uh, small groups of people that are meeting throughout the week in equip groups. And it's practical training to teach people how to be a disciple that makes disciples. We wanna give our church a disciple-making foundation to stand on. And so if you're not in an equip group yet, you need to be one. Now, a disciple, as we learned this week in equip, is this, a disciple is someone who knows Jesus, follows Jesus, and leads others to do the same. A disciple is someone who knows Jesus, like they know him, they know who he is and what he's like. They spend time with him, they talk with him and listen to him. They have a friendship with him, a relationship with him. A disciple is someone who knows Jesus. You gotta know Jesus to be a disciple. And a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, somebody who studies Jesus's life and tries to imitate it. Somebody who asks themselves the question, who would Jesus be if Jesus were me? What would he do? How would he spend his time? Time. They try to follow Jesus. They take Jesus's commands as commands and not suggestions. That's what a disciple does. A disciple, man, they try to walk as Jesus walked and talk as Jesus talked, not necessarily speaking in Aramaic or walking in Birkenstocks, but you get it, right? This is a disciple, someone who knows Jesus, follows Jesus. And today I wanna camp out on this last part, leads others to do the same. I wanna say this, a disciples make disciples, Disciples make disciples. If I could be so bold as to say, if you are a disciple and you're not interested in engaging and making disciples, you might not be a disciple. Heavy statement. If you are a disciple who's not interested in making other disciples, then you actually might not be a disciple. Heavy statement, let me prove it to you with the Bible. Let's look at the Great Commission. This is Jesus's vision state, statement for the church, vision statement for Christianity. He says, go therefore and make, give me that word, disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so Jesus, right before he ascends into heaven, he gets his disciples together and he gives them this mission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. And when you go and make these disciples, Teach these disciples to obey all that I've commanded you. Well, what did Jesus just command his disciples to do? To make disciples. And so disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's the way this whole thing has been rolling for the last 2,000 years is that disciples make disciples. The mission is multiplication. You've been given to give it away. Now, here's what I know is I know that equip is not as edgy as eyes for eternity and hearts for heaven. And I know that Equip is not as sexy as naked pillow fights and other stuff that couples do. If you're new, that was a real marriage series that we did in the fall. You should go check it out. Um, if my calculations are correct, we did that marriage series eight months ago. And one of the guys on staff, his wife is pregnant and is due next month. <laughs> Feels like it worked. You know what I'm saying? Feels like it worked. So check that out. So I know that Man, equip, it might not be as edgy and it might not be as sexy, but it is massively necessary if we wanna be a biblical church. And we wanna be a biblical church. Let me prove it to you. Ephesians chapter six, or Ephesians chapter four, it says this, and he gave, that being Jesus, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to, give me that word, equip, equip 
the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. Okay, so according to scripture, my job, like as a pastor, and our job as a church staff is to equip you, the everyday Jesus follower, for the work of ministry. It's to equip you to join Jesus in his mission of building his church. Like what's happening right here? Like this isn't entertainment. This is equipping Like our goal is to do everything that we can. The people who have been gifted as prophets, apostles, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, those are pastors, people who work at churches. They've been gifted to give to you the tools and the training and the development that you need so that you can be deployed out into the world and join Jesus in his mission. Like we are in your corner. Like I want for you to hear us say this. Like as a church, we are in your corner. We wanna walk alongside you and train you and talk with you and develop you and give you all of the training and schooling and gifts that we've got to be able to equip you and put you in a position where you can live for what life is actually supposed to be all about. And that's making Jesus famous. Like we don't want for what happens on this stage to determine how much Stone Creek Church grows. Like over the course of the next nine weeks, we're gonna be doing this equip series in tandem with equip groups. So we wanna see like an uncontrollable, unstoppable grassroots discipleship movement happen here at Stone Creek Church. We don't want for the growth of this place to be determined by songs and sermons. I mean, they're dang good, don't get me wrong, but like we want it to be, bigger than that. We want it to be faster moving than that. We want for it to be unstoppable and uncontrollable. And that happens when a group of people get equipped, trained, discipled, and become convinced that the love of Jesus is so scandalous and so good that they can't keep it to themselves. They can't keep it to themselves. That's what we're trying to create here. A a group of people who've got this vision of Jesus, who've got this understanding of Jesus, who really know Jesus and follow Jesus in such a way that they go, I can't keep this to myself. It's too good. It's too good. Have you ever not been able to keep something to yourself? Have you ever not been able to keep something to yourself? I don't know about you, but when I fell in love, I couldn't keep that junk to myself. All right, like I was telling everybody, I'll never forget, I fell in love with my wife. We were high school sweethearts, so we were babies, man. And I was like a normal high school guy, right? Just doing my thing, going through the motions, listening to like Jay-Z and Eminem in my room. And then one day I fall in love and the next thing you know, I'm singing Edwin McCain, I'll be your crying shoulder. Like what happened to me? Like my mom knew I fell in love because all of a sudden I was like, I'll be your crying shoulder. Like, like guys don't do that. Like, what happened? I fell in love and I had to let the world know. Like, it changed me. Like, all of a sudden I was like showering and stuff, you know? Like, it just changed me. And everybody knew that I'd fallen in love with this girl. And I just, I told, I talked differently. I walked differently. I spent my time differently. All of a sudden I was just smiling like all the time, right? Because I'd fallen in love and I couldn't keep it to myself. You know, biblically, that's the way that this is supposed to work with Jesus. Like biblically, we're supposed to fall in love with him in such a way that we go, this is uncontainable. This is like uncontrollable. Like I've got to tell people about how good this love is. Check it out, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter five. Um, It says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. Now, let me unpack that for you for a second because I don't want for you to think in your mind that that's like knowing that I'm afraid of God. That's not what it's trying to communicate. The word fear here would actually have this idea of awestruckness, knowing the amazingness of God. It's this idea of um, being astounded by his glory, being astounded by his goodness, knowing how great he is, knowing how big God is 
knowing that he's enough, knowing that he's worthy, knowing that he's holy, knowing how massive he is, we persuade others. Now, it's got this other kind of um, nuance that's important for you to know. It's uh, knowing the fear of the Lord would be like knowing that the God of heaven and earth is absolutely gonna judge the living and the dead that he is a good and righteous judge. And knowing that, we persuade others. It's so interesting. It calls us not to be passive, but to be persuasive. That as Jesus followers who know the love of Jesus, uh, like the call on our life is to persuade other people to come and see, to invite them to come and taste, to entice them to come and experience the love of Jesus. We're persuasive, not passive. It's not this version of Christianity where we're just sitting back hoping somebody notices our life and asks us what's different about us. That's not the call of the Bible. It's like, no, if you've experienced this love, you wouldn't be able to keep it to yourself. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. You see, we've concluded that Jesus 2,000 years ago died for all of humanity. It wasn't just for like one person or two people. It just wasn't for white people or smart people. It was for all people. Like there's no one who this love is not for. And so now it controls us to the point that we can't keep it to ourselves. We've got to tell everybody because he died for all that those who now live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The love of Jesus, man, it should be this thing that controls us, that sinks its teeth in us, that captivates us, that moves us where it's like, I can't even do anything. I'm just going where it tells me to go. That should be how powerful the love of Jesus. Have you ever been controlled by something? Have you ever felt con just controlled by an emotion, like overly controlled, like couldn't even fight it controlled by an emotion? Like, have you ever been controlled by laughter? Like, you just start laughing, like you're watching a movie or a stand-up comedy or somebody says something, like you're hanging out with friends and somebody starts laughing and then their laugh makes you laugh, which makes them laugh more. And it's just this uncontrollable laughter. You can't fight it. They're like peanut and you're like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. Like uncontrollable laughter, right? Have you ever been controlled by fear? Anybody ever been controlled by fear? You know, there's the whole like flight or fight mentality. My wife is freeze, okay? She just is controlled by fear and she freezes and does not move. I'm more of the fight mentality. Let me tell you about a time I was uh, controlled by fear. So I was um, on staff at this other church, it's a big church, and I was living in this parsonage. And a parsonage is a Greek word for a ghetto house they give to a pastor, okay? That's... <laughs> That's what a parsonage is. No, I'm so grateful. It was such a gift. They were so generous. But this house, y'all, it was toe up from the flow up, okay? Like I would be stepping and be like, I'm not gonna fall like through the flooring. There was like a mushroom growing up in the bathroom. And that's not because I was like into horticulture. <laughs> it's because there was black mold, okay? So um, the house had this weird airflow thing that would happen where all of a sudden just doors would open and close and the house, like the bathroom door open and then close and then bedroom door open and close. And so this house was just ghetto, okay? And so one night I'm laying in this house, it's a Saturday night, I'm church the next morning, it's you know, probably 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and um, there's a thunderstorm that's happening. And so I'm laying in bed getting ready for church, lights are out and um, all of a sudden, I hear that airflow thing that happens with doors happen, but it doesn't happen with a bedroom door or a bathroom door. It happens with the front door. And so immediately I think, oh my gosh, somebody's in my house. And so like I have this moment where I like panic and I think like, man, should I get my gun? And then I realize that like I'm a student pastor and they might be trying to prank me and I don't wanna go to jail. So I take my chances with hand-to-hand -hand combat. So true story, I roll out of my bed like I'm an, uh, an army ranger. I army crawl on the ground to the, door, to the door of my bedroom. I get up and I like straight mission impossible into the hallway 
Okay, and so I'm like posted up against the wall and like, I'm, I'm a fighter, right? Like I'm getting ready to fight this person who's coming to my house. Like you stepped into my territory, it's on like Donkey Kong, okay? And I know you might be thinking right now, like uh, Joey, like you don't look very big. Like what are you gonna do? Uh, first off, offensive. Um, <laughs> second off, I'm a puma, okay? So I might not look big, but I will come at you so quick and I will bite you if I have to, okay? So like, that is where I'm living. So I am ready to fight, all right? So, so I'm posted up against this wall and I do one of these. I look from the wall in the hallway and I swing around and I look into the living room. And sure enough, I see this outline of this body that is standing by the door. And I swing my head back around. And in that moment when a fight is actually gonna happen, I'm not as brave as I thought that I was. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, mommy. But something just snaps in me. Something just breaks in me. Something takes control of me. And I go, it's about to go down. And so I take one step into the living room. I take one step onto my coffee table, y'all. I jump as high as I can in the air, make myself as big as I can. I squirrel dive and I tackle that coat rack. I take <laughs> that coat rack out, dominated that coat rack. This is what fear does, yeah? Fear controls us. Fear has a way of making us do the irrational, the unthinkable, the inconceivable. It causes us to do things that we would otherwise never do when we get controlled by something. And this is exactly what followers of Jesus should look like. There should be this love that we've tasted, this love that we've experienced, this love that we've encountered that is so intoxicating, so invigorating, so life-defining that we are controlled by it. We can't keep it to ourselves. We can't just put it on the back burner. We can't go on with life as normal. It should control us. Do you know the love of Jesus in a way that controls you? I'm just gonna be real. I do. Like I do, I know the love of Jesus in a way that it like, it's changed everything about me. Like there is no other place on planet earth where I have found like forgiveness. And I don't know what your, the story of your life is or what you've done, but it's the only place I found like forgiveness. No strings attached, no ifs, ands, or buts, no conditions, doesn't give up, doesn't get tired, doesn't tuck tail and run. Forgiveness, all my flaws, all my insecurities, all my doubts, all my lies, forgiveness. It's the only place I found it. No, the love of Jesus is the only place that I've been able to find something in my soul that is strong enough to help me get past my past. Like the presence of Jesus, it is so good, it is so real that it's the only thing that's been able to allow me to look at these mistakes in the rear view mirror of my life, to look at my shortcomings and my flaws and my doubts and go, it's okay, I'm not that person, I'm who you've said I am. It's the only place I felt at home, the only place I feel like I can let my guard down, the only place that I feel like I've got strength, it's the only place that I feel like there's hope that matters where I can just be me, not pretending, not putting the mask on, not the Instagram version of myself that I want everybody else to see, just who he created in me to be. This is the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus that hunted me down when I was abandoned by my dad, abandoned by my mom. He said, I will take you in and be your father. I will adopt you. I will choose you. I will love you. I will walk with you and work with you and never leave you. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he meets all my needs. He is the bread of life, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. And he loves me, he calls me by name, wants to walk with me, wants to place a call on my life that matters. This is insane love, scandalous love illogical love, undeserving love. How could we keep this love to ourselves? 
Think about how desperate the world is for just a second. Think about the antidepressants and the alcoholism. Think about the counseling sessions and the thoughts of suicide. Think about the people who are lonely and insecure and feel inadequate and who feel forgotten, who are desperately searching. Think about the people who will use their bodies to just feel something that matters. Think about how lonely and desperate and searching this world is for love. And we know love, real love, transformative love, Jesus' love. And we're going to keep it to ourselves. That's crazy. That's illogical. That doesn't make sense. When you know this love of Jesus, it controls you. It captivates you. It grabs a hold of you. And it commands you that you share this love with other people. It's the only option. Nothing else makes sense. Nothing else makes sense except for us to be able to share this love with people. Did you know that 60%, this just blew my mind, 60% of Christians will live their life and they will never have a gospel conversation with an unbeliever. 60% of Christians who say that they know this all-consuming, destiny-altering, identity-shaping love Keep it to themselves all the days of their life. This love that is available for all people, they never tell anybody. And you may hear 60% and you're like, well, I mean, we ain't doing that bad. Well, that 60% incorporates the rest of the world who actually lives on mission. If you look at American Christianity, 95% of American Christians say that they have never shared the gospel with an unbeliever. That is mind-blowing. It doesn't make sense. It's like in our lives, have you not noticed like how wired we are to share? Like we just share, we share everything. Like we share stuff on Facebook and Instagram. We teach our kids to share their toys. Like we're just, but it's hardwired in us to just share. Like we share bad news, much less good news, right? Like we, we definitely share good news. Like you go to a restaurant and you try something. You're like, oh my gosh, that's so good. What do you do? You take a spoon of it. You stick it in your spouse's face. and You're like, try this. Because we're wired to share, right? Even bad news we share. Like the other day, my wife, she was uh, like changing uh, one of our daughter's diapers and she was like, oh my gosh, oh, it's, uh, this, oh my gosh. She goes, this smells horrible, smell it. I was like, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm good, no thanks. Like, I don't think it's changed that much, you know? Like, I know what I'm gonna find on the other side, but we're so wired to share even bad news and we've got good news, the best news. We've got news of life and immortality, news of peace and hope, news of belonging, news that people who are lonely and scattered and don't know what life is all about, where they can have purpose and feel at home. We've got good news and yet we keep it to ourselves. It's so funny, right? We make all these excuses about why we can't share the gospel, about how hard and difficult and complicated it is. And yet, like when we've got other news to share, we're real creative, right? Real creative. Like, I don't know about you, but like when I proposed to my wife, I was real creative, <laughs> super creative. Like you ever seen like high school students ask each other to prom? It's like, look at this big old sign. And I got all these like rainbows and butterflies and like, you know, a pig that I'm like, just crazy stuff, <laughs> illogical stuff that doesn't even make sense. Like you popped out of a hat to ask her to prom. Like, I don't even understand. But we get so creative to tell people these other news. But when it comes to the best news, we just keep it to ourselves. And there's all these excuses, aren't there? And they're legitimate. They're excuses that I feel in my soul that creep up in me that I'm wrestling with too. Like we start to think, man, I just don't wanna be judgmental. I just don't wanna be judgmental. I don't want people to think that I'm some know-it-all or that I'm like a weird 
religious fanatic. I, I don't wanna push something on people that they're not interested in. We, we just make all these new, all, all these excuses. I mean, maybe it's that we feel afraid or ashamed or, um, or maybe we're taking like a friendship evangelism approach, like a lifestyle evangelism approach. You ever heard this one? It's a great one, right? Like I'm just gonna live my life in a way that honors God and people are gonna ask me about it. All right, let's just talk. Let's just be real for a second. If you've been friends with somebody for five years and you've still not shared the gospel with them, your friendship evangelism might not be working. You might need to rethink the strategy and you might not be as good of a friend as you think you are. So I don't know that this friendship evangelism, like this is where it comes from, okay? So there's this quote from this dude named St. Francis of Assisi or a possible quote. I actually don't think he said it, but it's attributed to him and it says, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Have you heard this? Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And at first it's like, oh, that's good, right? Like amen that, hashtag Twitter, come on, right? Like that's the thought about that quote at first, but the, and, and the reality of it's good. The reality is, is that we don't wanna be people who are just saying stuff that don't match up with our lives. We wanna preach the loudest sermon with our lives, not our lips. That's the kind of concept. And that's good. The problem is, is the Bible, okay? And as you read the Bible, you're gonna see that every time that the gospel is preached, it's actually preached, it's proclaimed, it's spread, it's shared, it's talked about. There are words that are involved. It's not just this like good behavior and people are gonna notice. Like this is kind of illogical. Put it back up there. Saying preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It's like saying, I don't know, maybe feed the hungry and if necessary, use food. <laughs> You'd be really bad at feeding the hungry if you did it that way. And you're gonna be really bad at the gospel if you don't use words. And so I get it that there's this friendship evangelism mentality, but that's not really an uncontrolled or a con controlled way of sharing the gospel because you're so controlled by the love of Jesus. There are all these other reasons too. Like, man, we think that like people aren't interested or people are busy or I don't know how to get into it. Like, I don't have enough time. Like at the end of the day, I think one of the things that's just going on is this like weird high school thing where we care, where, where we still care so much about what other people think about us. We don't want them to reject us. We want them to like us. We don't want them to be turned off by us. We don't want them to think that we're some religious zealot or fanatic. And so we just keep it to ourselves because of our pride. Man, and sometimes it's because like, like that we think that we mess it up, right? Like, man, I might say something to mess it up and I don't wanna mess it up, which is so prideful if you think about it as if your fancy presentation is what saves people and not the Holy Spirit. There are all of these reasons that creep up why we don't have gospel conversations, why we don't spread the love of Jesus, why we aren't telling people about this good news, why we aren't active in sharing our faith. But one of the reasons that I think comes to the top the most, it creates the most timidity and hesitancy in sharing the gospel is that we just think we don't know enough, right? That's the one I hear most commonly. You ever felt that? Man, I just don't know enough. What if they ask me a question and I can't respond? What if they get me in a trap and I don't know how to get out? I just don't know enough. You ever felt that before? And I think I get it. That's legitimate. That's why we're taking you through equipped to teach you enough to be able to share the gospel. So I understand that there's some validity in it. But the real interesting thing is that the Bible actually says that the reverse occurs. Check it out. Philemon chapter one, verse six. I pray that the, that's Paul praying, that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. That's so nice. I'm gonna read it twice. I pray 
that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And so, so often we think if we knew more, we would share more. But Paul is saying the reverse actually occurs. If you would be active in sharing your faith, then you would actually know more of your faith. That there is something that happens in your soul, that there's something that is available to you in Christianity that Christ purchased for you on the cross that is deep inside of you and that you're not gonna know, not gonna taste, not gonna experience until you're active in sharing your faith. Like, this is crazy this morning. There's some good good that is locked in your soul, that is way down deep in your heart, that is in you as a Jesus follower. And there's this experience of following him. There's this joy of being loved by him that comes out when you're active in sharing your faith. It's not, let me know more and then I share. It's no, let me get busy sharing so that I can know the love of God, so I can know the fullness of what's been given to me. It's so backwards of how we think about it. Like, you, you want to know the adventure of following Jesus? You want to know the unbelievable joy of walking with him? Take a risk with your reputation. Take a risk with your money. Take a risk with your time. Take a risk with your career and just see if he shows up. You want to see the miraculous nature of God? Just start praying for people who you're terrified to pray for and pray bold things and just watch him begin to answer those prayers. You wanna know that he's with you and that he's for you and that he's in your corner. Step in a conversation with someone where you go, I don't know what I'm gonna say and I don't know if they're gonna like this and I don't know how it's gonna come across and I don't know if they're gonna like me on the other side of this and just see the way that he gives you the words to say in the midst of it. You wanna know what Christianity really is all about. You wanna know the power of the Holy Spirit. You wanna know what it's like to hear your prayers get answered. You ever prayed a prayer and been like, man, God, do you hear me? Am I speaking the wrong language? Do I need to convert to Hebrew? Like, is there a sunroof I need to open? Are they, like, what is happening? You're not answering my prayers. Let me give you a prayer that I promise he will answer. You start to pray this. You start to pray, Jesus, use my life to make your name famous. He will answer that prayer. You'll feel it. You'll experience it. You'll get to know the joy of God answering your prayers. It doesn't work like let me know more and then I'll share more. You start to share more and God's just gonna start to do something supernatural where he brings you on this wild goose chase of an adventure where you're getting to see people's lives changed and transformed and turned upside down. This is how we're supposed to live. This is what we have been called and invited into. This is what we're trying to equip, to create within you. We want to be a people who live on mission to make the name of Jesus elevated for every person to see. One of the most dangerous things that can happen is that Christians can become these inward-looking, comfortable people. Like if you are, were to look at the early church, the thing that you would see the early church marked by is boldness. It's boldness. You read through the book of Acts and over and over and over again, you're just gonna see, and they were bold and they boldly proclaimed and they boldly pre preached and with boldness they went. Now, let me do some work on that idea of boldness, okay? Because this is what a lot of us think is we think that boldness is fearlessness, and boldness is not fearlessness. These men were afraid. These men were terrified. These men had actually tucked tail and run. They had headed for the hills. They thought that the movement was over. They were afraid. But then something happened where when Jesus rose from the dead and they received the Holy Spirit where in the face of great fear, they still moved forward. Boldness is when I am afraid, when I am scared, when I'm not sure, when I'm really nervous, when I've got this timidity and I've got this insecurity and I've got these doubts, I still go. And that's what marks the early church. And we see these 
regular, ordinary guys, regular people lead the fastest growing movement in the history of the world. Literally, in a few short years, Christianity dominates the entire Roman Empire. In three years, literally all of Turkey, without technology, hears the gospel. This, this just moves forward because of these men's boldness. And nothing is more notable than the anonymity of the early Christian movement. Nothing's more notable. Like, you don't know who these people were. You don't know their names. You don't know where they're from. You don't know their careers. So many of them. We know some of them, but a lot of them, we don't know. So there's three churches, okay? Three churches. There's the church um, at Antioch. There's the church at Rome. And there's another church that I can't remember right now, okay? And those three churches are um, three of the fastest growing churches in the New Testament. And they become centers for church planting all throughout the ancient world. Now, here's the crazy thing is that the, when the Bible talks about the guys who started those churches, do you know what it calls them? Brothers. Greek translation, some regular random dudes. Just some dudes. Some guys who got captivated and controlled by the scandalous love of Jesus and couldn't keep it to themselves. And so just some regular, ordinary people began to live on mission and they led these churches that planted 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 churches. It's crazy. Like it's regular people. It's not the pastors. It's not the professionals. It's not the church's job. It's not like if we get our social media plan up and our Instagram gets better, then the world will come and know. No, when you get engaged, when your heart gets controlled, when you're captivated by the love of Jesus and you see it as your job, the way that the early church saw it, it's their job to be a sent one, a heralder of this good news, a teller of this message. That's when we'll see the extraordinary happen. Like we have got to, we've got to distance ourselves from some like institutionalized version of evangelism that is completely absent of the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to distance ourselves from this like domesticated form of mission where we just play nice with people and hope that they know Jesus. We've got to embrace a way of living that lets people know about how deep that love that God has for them is. Like this needs to become deeply emotional for us, church, deeply emotional. Like we need to see this through the lenses of how bad hell is going to be and how good heaven is going to be. Like when is the last time you wept for a lost person? When is the last time that your heart was broken by the fact that the person who lives next to you might live forever in a place called hell? When is the last time that that like emotionally moved you where it stressed you out that you've got family members who you don't know if you're gonna see on that other side? It should move us emotionally. Now, I love the way that Charles Spurgeon talks about it. I want this for our church. He said, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. I love that. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Stone Creek, can that be said about us? Do we wanna be the kind of church that says, man, I did it, I was willing, I didn't care, I don't, I, it doesn't matter if it was awkward, I got over my pride, I laid it all on the line because I saw that heaven was real, that Jesus was worthy, and that people mattered, that this love, it controlled me, it was so good that I just determined that I couldn't keep it to myself. Is this the kind of church that we're gonna be? This is the church that I'm desperate for us to be. 
This is the church that I believe that Jesus is inviting and asking us to be where we become people who take this really seriously. Check it out, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and tell the gospel to all creation. You know, for the last 2,000 years, this movement of Christianity has been built on the backs of individuals, of people. And this movement, man, it spanned continents, it's demanded sacrifice, and it's changed the world. And this movement, man, it happened because every day, ordinary people fell in love with Jesus to the point that they couldn't keep it to themselves. And this gospel message, the good news of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate hope for humanity. It is what is secretly lying behind every desire of the human heart, your desire for your profession, your desire for money, your desire for a family. What lingers behind that is your desire for Jesus. We've got this message and it's our job to take it to the world. This story now continues with us. There's a study that was done. And statistics say of people who aren't Jesus followers, who aren't actively practicing Christianity, the number one way that they would wanna explore faith is a conversation with an individual who's a committed follower. The number one reason. Number two is they wanna have a conversation in a group. Number three, they wanna come to church. And so statistically speaking, people would rather talk to you than listen to me. And this is where you come in. It is your time and it is your job to step into taking this message and sharing it with the world around you. It is our turn to take up the mantle of bringing the good news, the best news of the gospel to a world that is hurting and desperate for it. I want for you to think for a second about when you get to heaven, because I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, I'm not gonna be ashamed, and I'm not currently today ashamed or angry or aggravated or agitated by the person who shared the gospel with me. I'm really grateful that they were willing to offend me. I'm really grateful that they were willing to make me uncomfortable. I'm really grateful that they had the bold bravery that it required to tell me about the love of Jesus. I'm just so grateful. And I want for you to think about when you get to heaven and I want for you to have this picture in your mind. I wanna have this picture in my mind that somebody's gonna walk up to me and they're gonna go, hey, Jesus saved me, but you told me. And I might not be here if you hadn't. Who's gonna say that about you? Who's gonna say that about me? And so Stone Creek, here's what we wanna do. I'm sure you've been wondering what this go and tell wall is. We've got it here uh, for this Sunday. And over the course of the next 10 weeks, we want our church to have a thousand individual gospel conversations. We want for there to be a thousand moments where you boldly step into a conversation to tell somebody who may not follow Jesus about the story of what Jesus has done where you present the gospel. We want it to happen a thousand times. You go, Joey, that, that sounds like a big number. Yeah, but we got a big God and we got a big story. And there's a big number of people who don't know him yet. There's a big amount of love that God wants to drop on humanity. And so we wanna have a thousand gospel conversations. And so what's gonna happen in a second is you may notice that there's ping pong balls all over your seats and there's Sharpies. We want for you to think about who's your one? Who's your one? Who's that one person who you, who you know, man, they probably don't know Jesus. They don't know a love like this. They've never walked with him and been known by him and had their identities changed by him. Who's your one? We want for you to write their name on that ping pong ball. And then as we worship, what's gonna happen is you're gonna come and you're gonna drop 
that ping pong ball in this go and tell wall as a statement saying, I'm gonna step into sharing the gospel with this person. And then we're gonna begin to pray for you. We're gonna pray over every name, on every white ball, over every conversation, over every person, over every opportunity that God would open the door and that you would be brave and bold. And then what we're gonna do is you're gonna come back and that go and tell wall is gonna be in the center of our lobby for the next 10 weeks. And we're gonna have this bucket of orange balls. And every time that you share the gospel with the person that you wrote their name on that ball, you're gonna write their name again and you're gonna drop it in this wall on an, in an orange ball. And we are going to be in the lobby and every time an orange ball drops into the bottom of that go and tell wall, we are gonna lose our minds. We're gonna party and celebrate and cheer and dance because the gospel is moving forward. Now it's not when somebody gets saved, success is not in the saving, it's in the sharing, okay? They don't need to pray a perfect prayer and they don't need to take three steps and speak in tongues and get baptized. They, it's, you need to share it with them. And then we're gonna celebrate that that seed has been planted, that the gospel has been proclaimed and that somebody's eternity might be different. Who's your one? Who's your neighbor or your coworker, your family member that God has uniquely designed you and strategically placed you right alongside so that you could show them this amazing love of Jesus that has come for them. I wanna close by sharing with you the gospel. John chapter three, verse 16 says that for God so loved the world. It's this scandalous love, this ridiculous love, this uh, love for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Let me ask you, have you ever so loved someone have you ever so loved something? Have you ever so anything something? Have you ever been so mad that you just like punched a wall, broke your hand? You ever been like so frustrated that you were just like, Ugh! no even words? You ever been so emotional that all you could do was cry? You ever been so happy that all you could do was dance? Like my dog, Ziggy, he gets so happy when people come to our house that he's like scratching the floors and barking, peeing everywhere, right? He's so happy that there's only one thing that would really show his happiness. Stone Creek, God so loved you that he did in all of his brilliance and all of his wisdom and all of his creative creativity, the one thing that he thought that he could do to show you his love, he sent his son Jesus 2000 years ago to this planet to hunt down a world full of rebels, a world full of people who are uninterested, a world full of people who are lonely and desperate. And Jesus came and he lived a life of perfection and he performed miracles and healed people and cast out demons. And then he was murdered, brutally, horrifically murdered. He was nailed to a Roman cross. He suffocated on his own blood. There was puddles of blood and tears and pain and he died for you because he loves you, is crazy about you, is desperate for you. And then three days later, he rose victoriously from the dead with this offer that all who would know his love can have life. All who would know his love can have purpose. This is our message. This is our story. We can't keep it to ourselves. We can't keep it on the down low. All we can do is share it. All we can do is tell it. All we can do is push the gospel forward. So I invite you, who's your one? Let's pray. Jesus, I love you. God, I just pray that you'd make us a bold, brave, courageous people. God, I pray that this would be a moment where a culture shifts in our church and each one sees themselves as a sent one. God, I pray that you would overwhelm us right now with the radical love that you've given us, the fact that you've given us a place, the fact you've called us by name, the fact you've erased our shame and crushed our sin. 
And I pray that you give us a heart that breaks for your heart, that breaks for people, for the people who aren't there yet, for the people who don't know your love, the people who don't know your grace, the people who don't know your forgiveness and your kindness and your mercy and your peace. Break our hearts for them and make us bold. Jesus, let us live like you are worthy and that people matter. And I ask for it in your beautiful name. And all God's people said, amen.